Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, along with my producer, Lindsay, and we are streaming from downtown Bellevue, Washington today. Today, we have on the show um, Lorraine Lanning. You do not want to miss it. She has an inspiring story of her 70 pounds of weight loss on keto and how she also recovered from COVID. And since COVID is in the news so much, um, I want to start with that. So Lorraine, I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit and explain your experience with COVID and how you recovered from it. Oh my gosh. Well, hi, uh, Lorraine Lanning. I live in Colorado. Um, I have three adult kids and three young grandkids and um, COVID. Yes. Well, uh, having already been tuned into health and nutrition um, because of keto weight loss and all that for a number of years while I'm on Twitter, um, I was in a good spot for learning all the ins and outs of COVID and viruses and what to do. And um, so early on, we started taking prophylactics. I um I was already looking into it uh, before that because I had gotten bronchitis a couple times the year before and didn't want to do that ever again. So I'm like, okay, what's up? I'm keto. I'm healthy. I'm active. Why do I get this stupid bronchitis? And I had started out with zinc and then COVID came along and everybody's like, hydroxychloroquine works really good as a prophylactic, but hard to get, got demonized. So started taking quercetin. And and added, we were already doing vitamin D, magnesium, things like that. Um, added in some other things along the way, um, vitamin C, um, which was funny because you had heard for years that, oh, vitamin C doesn't really work against viruses because for a while people thought that would work. And then, oh, no, it doesn't. Well, here it is again. Vitamin C works. So start taking that right about NAC, NAC. Um, Sometime around July, I heard about ivermectin, but didn't take it as a prophylactic. Um, so we've been taking all of that since end of February, early March. Um, so comes Thanksgiving, and my husband got symptoms first. I have no contact with anybody usually except for my immediate family. Hadn't had any contact with anybody in two weeks, but my husband goes to work every day. So he comes down with symptoms. 12 hours later, I start to come down with symptoms. Um, chills, body aches, no fever, surprisingly, with chills and body aches. Not sure how that works. Um, but after about three days, we felt better, like all the way better. So I'm like, oh, good, we beat it. All those prophylactics worked. Well, the next day, day four, I guess it would be, started getting uh, mild cold symptoms, like upper respiratory mm -hmm normal mild cold symptoms. I'm like, well, that's a drag, but no big deal, not very sick. Um, then things kind of kept going, got a mild cough, certainly nothing along the lines of bronchitis, really barely sick overall, very mild. I'm like, well, okay. So we go, we get to the end of the week and all of a sudden I realized I had no taste and no smell. You're down to your basics, your sweet, salty, sour, bitter, but no flavor. It's very odd. And I'm like, uh-oh. So now we're more sick. Should have taken the ivermectin a week ago. But it was so mild, we were kind of, it's like, yeah, we don't need anything else. It's just very mild. So took the ivermectin. And my husband, completely over everything within three days. Uh, I, however, was not. Um, so then I'm like, well, uh-oh. So I, I got uh, did the speak with an MD uh, telemedicine. 
and got the HCQ and Zithromax. The bad part about that is it takes a day or two to get the appointment, and then it takes a while to get it shipped from the pharmacy in Florida. So since I the pharmacy got the prescription on a Friday and UPS doesn't ship on the weekend, I didn't get it for four more days. So I got all that on Monday and um, took it. It's um, you take it for a week, uh, for five days, and that pretty much killed it. And I really, knowing more about how the virus is only replicating during the first week, I really don't know that it was the HCQ that did it that last week for me. I think it was the antibiotics. And I definitely had something going on in my lungs. Um, cough, plus I could just feel it. Uh, and so I think it was the Zithromax that finally killed the end of it there. Uh, and then everything's fine since then. Um, it's funny, my prescription bottle actually said on it, uh, take uh, for five days and then take once a week, the, the HCQ, take once a week until the pandemic is over. I thought that was very humorous to put on a prescription bottle. but. Uh, yeah, so that was our that, experience. That is interesting. So are you still taking it prophylactically yeah. once a week? No, I saved the other 10 days worth because we were better. So I didn't take that. And uh, it's nice to know I have it on hand. Um, we have the ivermectin on hand. Um, and I will confess, we couldn't get a prescription for the ivermectin. So we got the horse paste from Amazon because there's a great doctor from, I believe it's Peru, uh, uh, another Twitter account shared his information and he had the entire dosage chart for pills and the horse paste and um, I think another, that might have been a liquid or something, I'm not sure. Uh, he had the whole chart and it's weight-based, how much you take. And so we took that and uh, it's not too bad, although with no sense of taste, it's just bitter is what right. it is, but it's a teeny tiny amount. It's nothing to gag over. So we just took that and it works very well. And and really the only difference is that it's less refined than the human pills. Uh, so I don't see that it's a big deal. Um, a lot of countries well, I, in the world don't have yeah, our, ahead, a lot of countries right. in the world don't have the luxury of our expensive medicine and healthcare and everything. So they take what works and it works. So that's what we had. And ivermectin is is um, been around for years. In fact, when this whole pandemic yeah. came out and back in the spring when they were talking about it, I had never heard about it for human use. The only use I had ever heard about it for was as a compounding pharmacy at Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy. We had compounded up ivermectin for veterinary use. Um, specifically, we had made it up for some dogs um, that had mange. Cause it's a, it's a good um, anti-parasite. So mm -hmm. um, I haven't done a lot more research on it since then, but there's been a lot more research done, um, you know, regarding, regarding the treatment of COVID. And I think that some people are, some um, doctors are using it prophylactically with great results. Yes. And, um, and just, just to get this out there, we are not recommending self-treatment necessarily and going down to a I veterinary <laughs> store and buying ivermectin. I appreciate I your, your, your freedoms um, um, and what you did, Lorraine. I just want to make that clear to our viewers yes. and listeners that, yeah. you know, we, we don't promote that. We, we want to make right. sure that you're going through the proper channels. And if you do need, I do know some doctors that do prescribe it. So if you do need, um, yes. Um, a doctor to prescribe it. I, you know, if the listeners and viewers are interested, I can, you know, give, 
get a hold of me and I can send you their their number. So so thank you for that story. Now you you seem to think so you seem to think that your husband brought it home because you stay home most of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does your husband wear does your husband wear a mask at work? He does wear a mask at work. They um, have done temperatures and masks and all of that since the beginning because um, they're considered essential. I think everybody's job's essential. Um, Absolutely. And uh, no one at work had any symptoms. So knowing that you normally don't catch a virus unless you're in close contact for an extended time with someone with symptoms, uh, actually coughing and things like that, you don't normally catch a virus. So nobody at, at, at his work was sick. Nobody had symptoms. Um, so who knows where we got it. Uh, you know, I, I seen enough that I know masks don't work. Uh, and, you know, maybe if you wear an N95 that's properly fitted, you can cut your exposure down by quite a bit. But this whole cloth mask thing, the loose masks that people wear and they pull them under their noses and take them on and off and touch them all the time. No way. Um, but we don't know. Nobody we were around was sick. Uh, so it's just mystery. Um, there is one scientist that I follow. Um, I think he's in the UK, has some interesting theories on seasonality and uh, things like people who live in the tropics uh, still get, you know, it's we all think of seasonality as, oh, when it's warm and the sun is shining, viruses go away. Well, where do they go? They don't actually go away. People in the tropics where it's warm and sunny all the time still get them. I think it's more associated with their wet season in that respect. But I I have an unscientific theory that we carry them with us all the time and something happens to lower our immunity, um, either cold or stress, lack of sleep, something like that. And it gives them a chance to infect us and make us sick. Um, well, I think that's a good theory. I mean, I, I uh, literally viruses are at least an airborne virus like that. It's, it's almost ubiquitous. I mean, it's yeah. everywhere. Um, and, but sometimes it's not pathogenic. Um, why is it not pathogenic to some and it is to others? Probably what you're talking about their immune system and it could be viral load. You know, every once in a while you do hear about a healthy person that gets COVID-19 and they don't have any underlying health conditions and they're young, but then you start looking more into it and, you know, they were an ER doctor and they treated, you know, in the initial pandemic, they treated 50 patients in, in one day that had COVID. Well, their viral load was huge. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised that they, that they got sick. And this is really nothing new. We've been dealing with viruses for thousands of years. Yeah. Smallpox, which I think most people would agree is probably more dangerous than COVID. Mm-hmm. And yet there were some people that would not in a whole, in a family, some people would get infected and some people wouldn't. You know, I mean, some people would have more severe symptoms and some people wouldn't. And why is that? I think, you know, probably immune system issues, but there's a lot of things we don't know about it, but we definitely didn't stop the world because of it. And, um, you know, my, my thought is too, with this is like, you know, the, the, the vaccine was supposed to be the, the savior of, of this COVID. And then we're going to be able to change our lives again because of the vaccine, well, that doesn't seem in my opinion to be happening because people that are getting the vaccine are still having to wear a mask and, they don't know if they're for how long they're immune, if they are immune, and they don't know if they can still spread it. So, and they get cor- it a week later. 
Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, I, you know, I mean, there has to be a point where we have to start making some serious decisions as people and as a government when, when we're going to move on from this. It's yeah. because um, we, we can't let it keep destroying our, our lives and businesses. So yeah. thank you for sharing that story. Go, go ahead, Lorraine. It, it, it's gone on so long now that people are truly brainwashed um, and it, with the fear uh, of all of it. And um, there's, I don't know, maybe it's part of the education system, but very few people seem to have basic knowledge of biology and viruses and bacteria and things like that. And uh, so they're easily uh, overcome with fear over this from what they hear in the media. And unfortunately, it's all been politicized, um, which That's doesn't smart. help at all. No, that's yeah. it, it is so clear it's been politicized. I mean, a, a good a good way to just prove that it's been politicized, whether you're on the right or the left or you're in the middle of or in, in the middle, you know, look at how each state is dealing with it differently. Um, you know, that makes it pretty clear that it's been politicized. And the virus doesn't stop at state lines. The virus doesn't know where the state line is. So, um, but yet, you know, Florida has been open for months and months now, and they seem to be dealing with it pretty well. So, um, yet, yeah. you know, California with some of the most draconian lockdown rules and mask rules, their case numbers really per 100,000 is not much different than Florida. No. And I think those that has been shown over and over again. So yeah. Um, if yeah, the cur the curves are the same everywhere, right. no matter what measures they took. And sure. and actually, when you look at them, the places that lock down the hardest ha uh, with and use masks the most have more cases and more deaths. Um, and perhaps, you know, as most most medical professionals should know and a lot of people should know is is that the virus itself doesn't usually kill you it's the secondary infections the pneumonia that's usually what older people die of in nursing homes and stuff they don't die of the actual virus the virus has done its thing in the first week it's the pneumonia and other things that come after that are so deadly and when you think of the way people don't wear masks appropriately if you're wearing them for eight or ten hours a day and you know, most people aren't changing them and putting on a fresh one every time and all that. What else are they breathing in? Bacteria, little microfibers, um, the virus itself from the outside of the mask, maybe. Um, it, it's, you know, if, if masks and all that worked, then you would think places like California would have a drastic reduction exactly, in cases yeah. and deaths, and they don't. Right. Right. Exactly. That's definitely something that um, we need to to, to consider. And, and, you know, I don't, I haven't honestly been, tr been tracking the numbers a lot because I just don't know how much I trust the numbers anymore. So no, the it's, whole it's PCR really hard. Test. Yeah. The PCR test, you know, I, I definitely don't trust that. And, and, you know, just the numbers I think have been trumped up because especially with deaths, because you see, you know, you hear reports all the time. I, and I know personally people that have said, you know, their, their mom died of cancer and they listed it as COVID. Yep. You know, she was on hospice and listed COVID. I know personal stories like that. So I know that that is, that is happening. So, yeah, definitely. so, so Lorraine, tell us, so how old are you? If you don't mind sharing. <laughs> I'm 58. <laughs> awesome. Good for you. And um, do you think, so a few years ago you had a story of you went keto. That's kind of why you've yeah. just been doing a lot of research on health and wellness stuff. And just tell us about that journey and tell us how you think that that might've 
you know, uh, did that have any effect on how you how you were able to recover from COVID? So, sorry, your keto story. I know you have a a great a great story on that. So just start start from the beginning. Yeah, um, we've done keto slash carnivore for over seven years. Um, I call September fifth my alive day because that's the day I started, two thousand thirteen, and it completely transformed our lives, my husband and I. Um, it, it Just totally different. Um, I was getting increasingly uh, desperate for some relief. I had edema in my legs that was getting higher and higher, as they say. Um, I was doing a lot of power walking and stair climbing in the middle of the day at work and stuff like that to find some relief because it was so uncomfortable. Um, Doctors were no help. I actually had heart palpitations and went to the doctor. I wore a, a halter monitor for 24 hours and went back and she said, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. I had no, uh, you know, blood pressure issues or blood sugar issues or anything. Everything was fine. I knew I wasn't fine. Um, I was having panic attacks. Um, and you think panic attacks are psychological. Huh? They're actually, well, at least in my case, physical. Um, so I was having all these increasing issues. Uh, I never had any successful weight loss. I did all of that extra exercise, power walking for an hour a day, never lost a single pound in a year. Um, so I'm like, well, it must be my genetics. I'm meant to be fat and sick, right? That's what everybody tells you. That's what everybody thinks. So, um, one day, uh, I don't even know what blog it was. I was reading, um, somebody posted a video, and I think it was from the Today Show, actually, of a young woman. She was 28, and she had lost 88 pounds in a year. And I thought, oh, my God, I didn't even know that was possible because normally they would tell you, oh, one pound a week, maybe two at the most you could lose if you eat a lot of salad and do a lot of exercise. So how could anybody lose that much weight in a year? And so I was intrigued, and I looked her up. And she said, well, keto and resistance workouts. Ketogenic diet is high fat, moderate protein, very low carb. I'm like, oh, okay. So I did a little more research, very little, and found a bodybuilding forum. And they said, well, it's, I don't remember, I think it's like 70% fat, 25%, these numbers might not work, 25% protein, 5% carbs. I'm like, oh, okay. So I started the very next day. I ate my P.F. Chang leftovers or something that night. And the next day um, started and uh, totally oblivious to anything else about it except those percentages. So I ate very strange things at first. Um, I would have, uh, I, I obsessively read nutrition labels and I would have, um, oh, what did I, I'd have like wasa crackers with cream cheese and 10 raspberries and a uh, slim fast shake for breakfast, for example. Um, and I would make, I made a lot of uh, low carb versions of carby things, breads and crackers and cookies and muffins and all that stuff at first, um, which is fine at, at first. It, and it worked. It worked eating that stuff. We started eating more eggs and more meat and things like that. But you're still stuck in that, that paradigm where your meal has to include a bread and a starch like potatoes and a vegetable and fruit and dessert and whatever. Um, so I did low carb of all those things, but it was still all those things. Um, I can't tell you how many mug cakes, we, low carb mug cakes we ate for dessert for the first couple of years. But then gradually 
you, I, 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 I was, well, I'll back up a step. So I had that first week had all these amazing results. All that water weight went away within days, uh, 11 pounds the first week, all the edema gone. And I'm like, my God, how does that happen? So then that started all the research um, in, into why. Well, when you don't eat carbs, you have low, low levels of insulin. So your kidneys release all that water and take all the sodium with it, um, which is why most people get keto flu. It's really dehydration from uh, lower levels of sodium. Um, I never had keto flu. I don't know if I was just liberal with the salt or whatever, but I never had any of those symptoms. Um, but uh, so I started doing all the research and look at why. Why did all the water weight go away? And then I started running into more real information about uh, not just no sugar, but grains and um, seed oils, things like that. So I just gradually transitioned to uh, meat plus green vegetables basic diet, still occasionally um, do things like fathead pizza or um, I'll make fathead pastries for when we're going camping and we're on the road a lot. Something easy to eat in the car, that kind of thing. Uh, did a lot of intermittent fasting. I mean, a natural way is just to extend your uh, overnight fast to the middle of the day. So you have brunch instead of breakfast. Um, we only eat twice a day. Generally, we'll eat brunch and then an early dinner, preferably. Um, uh, when we were traveling, we went to London for our 30th anniversary a year later after we started. Mm -hmm. And it was great. We ate once a day at four in the afternoon, got our coffee in the morning and lots more time for sightseeing and um, felt great. Uh, it, it, that whole first year was just this um, year of firsts. Uh, I spent the first few months like this. Oh my God, my nose, my cheeks, my collarbone, you know, it just felt so weird. Um, fitting in an airplane seat comfortably where I could cross my, crossing my legs comfortably. Wow. Just all these miraculous things. Um, skin issues disappeared. Skin tags just disappeared. Um, I had deep, painful cracks in my heels. Uh, there's lots of stuff out there. People with little sanders and disappeared uh dry crackly elbows and stuff disappeared i had um my nails had these weird deep scoops to them disappeared um what else uh i made a list somewhere uh the heart palpitations completely gone panic attacks completely gone um i have not had a headache of any kind in over seven years even with covid um even with bronchitis no headaches ever and i used to have very bad ones um Maybe today they'd be diagnosed as migraines. Um, they would make me nauseous at times. Um, no headaches at all. I've very rarely taken ibuprofen in seven and a half years. Once for a muscle issue and actually during COVID for a couple of days because the muscle aches were pretty bad. Um, gosh, uh, what else? Well, and just let me just comment, if you don't mind. Um, just think about how many people are on medications for the things that you yes. changed with your diet and they're on medications chronically for the rest of their life yes. when in reality they just need to change their diet and yes. unfortunately most doctors don't talk to people about that uh, it's know. just like oh yeah I mean it's just like oh okay well you got headaches and you need this medication it's like well your diet can affect that um, yeah. for sure oh, definitely 
Yeah. And, um, and I had no idea about any of it. I found out as I, as I went and researched and everything um, that, 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 you know, uh, meetrx.com is a great place for lots and lots of stories of people who fixed various health issues by eating just meat or, you know, keto has a lot of that too. And we, we have tried uh, carnivore. We're actually more carnivore like we mostly eat meat and fish. Um, we actually don't like chicken so much anymore. Uh, pork, eggs. Um, but we do have vegetables when we, when we feel like it and in season, um, love fresh tomatoes in the summer. Um, and we're spoiled by that. So we don't eat them in the winter because they just don't taste as good. Um, Oh, we're streaming. Jesus. Yeah, we're streaming his <laughs> website. Right yeah, now. Um, it's Dr. Sean Baker. He has been on our pod. He was on our podcast about a year ago. Yeah, it, definitely. Even if you don't want to be carnivore long term, uh, doing it for 30 days is definitely the best um, elimination diet if you're having issues. And then you can add things in um, one at a time to find out what bothers you. Uh, for example, I dearly love sweet potatoes. Not, not the Thanksgiving sweet potatoes with marshmallows. That's just disgusting. But <laughs> savory sweet potatoes. I love them. They do not love me. They give me great GI issues. So I can no longer eat those. <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, r- red meat in particular, I think, is uh, causes the least problems for everyone, unless you're misfortunate enough to get bitten by a tick in Texas that causes a lone star tick. allergy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that would be terrible. Because uh, we eat a lot of red meat, um, and uh, so yeah, it's uh, it, it's just been wonderful. Uh, it, we have so much more energy. We're active. Oh, and here another interesting thing: we we live at altitude, and um, we've noticed that we can hike at a higher altitude, like the thirteen thousand feet, with uh, no breathing issues. Um, well, here's here's the thing: I tell people. I mean, and you can see this. Thanks for sharing that, by the way. But there is, you can see this in, 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 in vegetarians and vegans. You can see, you can usually spot them right away because you can tell they have low iron stores. So speaking of being of altitude, there is no better way without getting an IV infusion of iron to increase your iron than red meat, period. Right. There is no supplement. There is no, you know, without doing IV infusions, there's no better way to increase your iron. If you have low iron, red meat. And I just want to piggyback on the ultimate elimination diet. The carnivore diet starting out with red meat only is the ultimate elimination diet. And then like you say, maybe slowly add things in, maybe sweet potatoes. They didn't work for you. You found that out. Well, think about if you didn't find that out, right? You you had GI issues. How many people go to the doctor with GI issues and they give them, you know, a proton pump inhibitor because you're having GI issues when you just need to stop eating sweet potatoes. I mean, let's, fix the problem and not just treat the symptom. Yes, I mean, let's exactly. fix the problem. And, Let and me back frankly, up too. If, if oh, you have a ahead. GI issue, it, it's, it's, it's almost diet. 100% diet. It's diet. Yeah. I see all these people on, you know, like for IBS, irritable yeah. bowel syndrome. Everybody has irritable bowel syndrome now. And one of the reasons why is because there's a drug on the market that costs $4,000 a month that, you know, everybody needs it. So any, I mean, kids, kids are getting this drug and it's, you know, they diagnose it as IBS, which is basically some diagnosis, in my opinion, that it's just some kind of GI issue and they want to be able to treat it. So they call it IBS and they build an insurance company for it and build a drug for it and all that. And when in reality, it's diet related, probably. I I would guess 99% of them 
plus are diet related. Any kind of GI issues are probably diet related. You're right. Constipation, diarrhea, IBS, reflux. They're diet problems. You don't need drugs. Well, and along those lines, the constipation especially, why would you want to add more fiber to that? (laughs) I mean, that's that's what causes that. Right. Now, now, (laughs) there's a big argument about that. And I'm actually in a couple. And and I, I'm I'm with you, Lorraine. And I actually have an, uh, a GI doctor on our podcast in a couple of weeks, and we're going to talk about that. And he's a big believer in the carnivore diet, and he's going to talk a little bit about fiber too. And of course, you know, Sean Sean um, Baker is talking about that on our podcast oh, yeah. also. So let me back up a little bit because I want to I want to add some things to some very interesting things that you said: carbohydrates and water. When you think about the definition of a carbohydrate. Carbohydrate. Hydrate means water. Hydrate water. So I, I don't remember the exact amount, but I think for every one gram of of carb, you hold um, one three grams of water. It's either three or four yeah. grams, I think which true. makes sense. So you know that's how you part of the reason and the sodium. I get that too. That's why when you are on carnivore diet or any low keto diet, that's why. Um, Nutrient uh, or uh, mineral deficiency, mineral supplementation is probably pretty important with salt. Yeah, well, um, dehydration is not a lack of water. Usually, it's a lack of salt. Yeah, and and water follows. Salt. Well, yeah. So I mean, yeah. well, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I I totally I totally agree. Another thing I wanted to comment on is, you know, when you were eating, um, twice a day when you were actually eating once a day, when you were um, traveling on vacation, mm-hmm. you talked about how much more time you had to yes. spend doing tight sightseeing. Yes. And I think that's one of the issues that we have is that we, we live to eat. Yes. And, yes. and, you know, I, I love to celebrate with eating and, you know, sit down with my wife and have a great dinner and all that. Don't get me wrong, sure. but, but really we are designed. Eating is designed to keep us alive. It's not supposed to be something that we can do all the time, you know, to extravagance. Um, You know, we're meant to just eat to stay alive. And I I, I remind patients of that all the time. Don't eat to live. Just don't, don't live to eat, eat to live. That's literally all, all we're, all we're wired for is to, and if you think about us biologically, you know, thousands of years ago, we weren't able to eat all we wanted every day and literally as Americans now we can, we can eat all we want every day. Yes. All day. And And that's what people do. If you watch the travel shows that we watch, um, most of them, everything revolves around meals and food, Uh, either buying it, getting it, preparing it, eating it, (laughs) um, breakfast, lunch, dinner, you know, six meals a day, um, ice cream and roasted marshmallows. And I mean, it's, uh, I mean, the the one show we watch, I swear to God, every single time, every 10 minutes of the show, I'm hungry. We're supposed to be getting lunch, you know, and um, you, you don't realize how much time you spend with all that. Um, I know, especially at the beginning of keto, I was making all that stuff. I, I spent hours cooking and baking and all that. And, you know, one of the advantages, especially of carnivore, is your food prep is almost nothing. Your uh, cook time is maybe 10 minutes and you have almost no dishes. So being the one who does the dishes, I prefer not to do all that and to have very few dishes. 
Um, You know, especially when we're camping, I actually pre-make as much food as I can, either freeze it or have it in the fridge. And I make sure almost all of it is grilled because I don't want to spend any of my camping time cooking uh, or prepping food or anything. I'll pre-make marinades and bring them in jars. And I mean, I do is so that in my week, I'm doing almost no cooking. I want to be out birding and hiking and uh, whatever. I I don't want to spend time doing that. It's a waste of life. Um, so that, that was a, that was hugely eye opening in London that we just grab our coffee, get on the tube and, uh, go off. And then about four, we go have some dinner and I'm going to admit we did try some dessert, sticky toffee pudding and fresh blackberry cheesecake. And then it wasn't so great on our plane ride home because we were, yeah, we weren't used to it. We used to it and we're, yeah. uh, you know, the ankles were swollen a little bit there, but, uh, yeah. It was all a big lesson for sure, but um, yeah. yeah, diet affects so much, and and carnivore, especially if you're yeah, if you're doing pure carnivore, it simplifies so many things yeah. for sure. Um, I wanted to backtrack way back when on your oh, first my gosh. in your first keto <laughs> when you first started the keto journey. Um, you know, you talked about uh, a little bit about keto breads and keto crackers and things like yeah. that, and I always like to comment on this because. You know, in 2013, keto is still pretty new. Yeah. Now we have a, an entire keto industry that has been developed. And, um, Cause it's you know, <laughs> you can buy keto, you can buy keto bars and you can drink ketos and mm-hmm. ketones and, you know, um, and I'm not completely against that. Uh, and I know that works for some, some people. And if that works for some people, then, then, then to lose weight, then good for them. It's a good um, transition. It is. But here's what I will say ultimately is that eating real food is what our bodies were designed to yes. do. And there is nothing in a package that is yes. going to mimic real food. Yes. We can try all we want, but it just doesn't work. We will never know what all is in that food. So I'm a big believer if it doesn't rot, don't eat it. And, <laughs> right? I mean, if bacteria yes, and fungus true. aren't good, yeah, bacteria and fungus aren't going to grow mm-hmm. on it and eat it, then how's it going to assimilate into our bodies, you know, very well, probably not very well. So, right. You know, the, the, the closer we get to that, the better now, cause I still see, and I, and I still see that, you know, Oh, I baked this keto bread and, you know, I ate a whole loaf of keto bread and, you know, but it's keto. So it's okay. Well, not well, really. I mean, can it, you expand no, on that? <laughs> well, it, you know, it definitely, you are addicted. To the, the the carbs, you just really are. That's why you can't go more than a when you're eating a standard diet. Why you can't go more than a couple hours without eating something else. I mean, that's the whole hormonal insulin leptin cycle, it, uh, roller coaster actually. Um, so it, you know, you're addicted to it, and especially when you first start. One, you have the habits. I when I was 51 when I did this, so I had 50 years of eating three meals a day and four sides with every meal and snacks and all that stuff. And you're, it's a mental thing as much as it is. physical. I mean, it is physical to get past that. It takes um, at least three weeks to adapt to a keto diet and um, probably a lot more than that, actually. Um, Just the initial adoption is three weeks. Um, I would say it takes six months or even longer. And then there's the psychological side of it. Um, when I first started, I had decades of low fat in my head. 
um, you need to eat low fat and salad and uh, lots of vegetables. And to all of a sudden start eating ribeye steak and butter and coconut oil and all of that and bacon. And it it's you for probably the first six months, I was cringing every time I ate. I mean, intellectually, I knew it was okay, but you just, you're so, it's so ingrained. You, right. you, it's hard to get past. And then it took years, years to get past the multiple things at dinner, um, multiple sides and all of that. And um, these days, we, we never have more than one side. I mean, obviously for a holiday, like for, um, we just recently had a family celebration. So we made smoked uh, prime rib, but our smoker is the best thing. So we made smoked prime rib to die for. And then I made um, smoked Gouda mashed cauliflower and uh, oven roasted Brussels sprouts as the sides um, because not everybody is keto carnivore in our family. Um, and then I made creme brulee for dessert, which is just uh, cream and egg yolk. And then I use uh, Swerve, which is erythritol and stevia for sweeteners. Um, and and creme brulees are like this big. It's a small serving. So um, so for a, a celebration, we'll do that kind of thing. But normally in our, our nightly meals, we never have more than one side. It's meat and vegetables or fish and vegetables kind of thing. Um, but it takes a long time to get there. And yeah, yeah, because the, we, we kind of grew up. Right. The, the, the keto stuff, I had to make everything from scratch. Um, and it's expensive. Almond meal, coconut oil, um, uh, hazelnut meal, nuts, all that stuff's really expensive. And the keto processed food keto stuff they have now is also very expensive. It is. Um, and it takes a lot of time to do the cooking yourself. So um, it's a good transition when you're getting away from the standard American diet mentality over time, as you eat less sugar, you're not as physically addicted to it, right. and you gradually get past it. It took us a while to get past it. Um, and, right. And, and let me tell you, know. yeah, I mean, that's a great story. And, it, you know, thank you for commenting on that. Um, one of the things is, too, is that those processed things that you're talking about to make those keto recipes are expensive. And the, the one, the keto stuff you buy can be expensive. I'll tell you what's not expensive, ground beef and eggs. Yeah. That is not expensive or sausage, sausage and eggs. That is not expensive. And you, you know, be careful we, with sausage though, because sausage, almost all the commercial sausages have corn syrup in them. Yeah, th th that yeah, is true. But if you buy, but if you, but if you buy your, buy your, uh, buy your pigs from a farmer, and well, yeah, cut, yeah, there and that's and, hard to do for a lot of people. Yeah, it, it might be. It might be. We, that's how yeah. we buy our beef. That's how we try to buy our pigs because it's much more convenient when that stuff's in the freezer. Oh um, yeah, we have two freezers and two fridge freezers, and they are packed. Mostly with ribeye right now, <laughs> but uh, yeah, because um, our normal meal rotation is ribeye, um, burger, and salmon. We eat about three quarters of a pound of salmon a week. So oh, good, for um, good for you. Get those omega threes uh, in. Yeah, and we just like it, and it, it breaks up the beef. And then we eat uh, bacon and eggs on the weekends. Um, I, we eat a lot of bacon and eggs. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So tell us a little bit about your your husband's journey. He started keto and um, then he had an injury. And tell tell us about yeah. tell us about that. The injury is actually before it was it was a crazy year for us the, that year. Um, and so 
I started keto September 5th and the third week of June, he had a work, in, a work accident and had his foot crushed. And he had, um, I think he has plates in his foot to this day. I think three of his, uh, the bones in his foot were broken. He has plates and then his big toe is almost severed. Um, and he had these two long pins coming out his big toe. Um, it was, oh, miserable months. He uh, had to sleep on the couch for, I don't even know how long, because um, we have a two-story house. Um, three months, four months, something like that. It was a very long recovery. Um, I had to have a spreadsheet to keep track of all of his medications. The painkillers, the antibiotics, the anti-inflammatories. Um, it was just crazy. He was so drugged. Um, and then, you know, uh, he had a wheelchair and then he had a walker and he then finally graduated to crutches. And um, our daughter was in um, basic training for the Air National Guard in Texas at the time. And we flew down there for her graduation. Uh, and I, I empathize so much for, for disabled people because getting around in a wheelchair, especially when your foot's sticking straight out and those pins are exposed. Oh my God, I made this plastic thing that Velcroed over that to try and protect it on the airplane and stuff and in crowds because we don't want anybody bumping it. Um, it, it. And we were looking for elevators everywhere and uh, it, it was just a nightmare. And um, so we get home and then we had another wedding in the mountains um, a couple months later. And then I started keto. So for about six months, I was making, I was eating something different than keto. And then I was like, you know what? I'm doing all the cooking. You're going to eat what I make. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, he was like, steak, bacon and eggs, butter. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he's like, I'll eat it. Sure. And, um, you know, and, and I have to admit, there's an unfair difference between males and females. Sorry, gender folks. Um, just the, the amount of muscle men carry and where they carry it, it's much easier. For men, and especially when I hit menopause, I struggle way more, even now, um, because of it. it. It's just because um, insulin and leptin, those are all hormones, and they interact with your sex hormones. And when those change, um, it, it just makes things more difficult. And he just has an unfair advantage, that's <laughs> all I can say. So it's been easier for him. But um, it definitely was part of his recovery. Um, our lifestyle, you know, if you think of uh, keto, carnivore, it's a very low inflammatory diet. Uh, and that, and when you're talking recovering from that kind of a catastrophic injury, inflammation's a big thing. I mean, yeah, inflammation is part of the recovery, but you don't want that excess chronic inflammation on top of that. Right. Um, so, so he was able to, it took two years for his foot to fully recover. And that's 18 months of that was keto. So even with keto, it took a long time. Um, but as a result, he has no swelling in his foot. He has no pain in his foot, even with the plates. Um, Cause we were told that someday he might have to have more surgery to have those removed. They're not an issue. Um, part of our lifestyle change was being more active. Um, when you, even, even, even before you lose a lot of the weight, you have more energy. Um, there's more energy, there's more alertness, um, you're mentally brighter. Even, you know, I know that a lot of people uh, have success with depression and stuff like that with keto carnivore. Um, I can see why. I, I definitely feel uh, different 
mentally and psychologically than I did. And that's part of all of that energy. Um, you want to be outside in the fresh air. You want to go hiking. You don't want to sit around and watch TV and play video games and all that. So um, as part of all that, I got his butt off the couch and we went for a walk every day. Um, I don't think his physical therapy was as as thorough as I would have liked it to have been. Um, I made him get out and walk and I watched his gait and made sure he didn't favor his foot because then that creates issues in your knee and your hip and your back and all of that. And let's see, about nine months after he broke his foot. So uh, six months into keto, we started doing country Western dancing. We took lessons and uh, great fun. And dancing is great exercise and social and all those things. And I think that did a lot for his foot to recover too. Um, and we just, we, we did all that. And of course now we haven't been dancing for a year because it's all closed, but um, we go hiking, birding is my passion. Um, it's like the perfect um, combination of things. Being out in nature is meditative. You're in sunshine, can never have too much sunshine, um, exercise, it's intellectual. You're you're watching and observing observing wildlife and learning about it. Um, it's just great fun, and I can do it anywhere. That's why we go so, camping, <laughs> right? And you know, I I say this often on this on our program, and one of our goals this as a show is just to educate and empower. Um, people that they are in charge of their own health yes. and you were just talking about it with diet and exercise um you know nutrition and exercise some of the best drugs ever invented yes. um how many Way people have, yeah how many people are on antidepressants and they have a yep. poor diet you know, I mean, seriously. And how many of them don't exercise? Exercise is definitely, I believe exercise is the best drug ever invented for exercise, for, yeah. for depression. Um, it, it, it stimulates so many neurotransmitters that a drug, there's no drug that's ever going to do, um, especially it's not going to have big side effects. So um, well, exercise and, and, is amazing. And they've done studies too about um, being in nature and in the trees and sunshine we know is great medicine. So you add all that into the exercise and diet for things like depression and it's, um, uh, just magic medicine for sure. Um, yeah. Oh, and the other uh, the, the thing. Sun, uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, no, you go ahead. Well, the sunshine, <laughs> you know, speaking of sunshine, we talked about vitamin D early on. Sunshine yeah. stimulates vitamin D, so we shouldn't really be surprised that it makes us happy, right? I mean, yeah. vitamin D is known, low vitamin D levels is known to affect you know, to have an effect on seasonal affective disorder because yes. of low vitamin D. So get out in the sun. And then critical too to prevent um, serious uh, illness with uh, things like COVID. Um, vitamin D is an important part, a critical part of your immune system. That's been shown over and over yep. again. Um, vitamin D is so important. If there's one for, for your immune system, for many other things too, if there's, I tell patients all the time, if there's one supplement you can take, it's vitamin D and make sure you're taking enough vitamin D and vitamin D3 specifically. Um, yes. you know, using and I'd like to add need. to that is um, you're also supposed to take K2 with your vitamin D. So that the um, it, it goes to your teeth and bones rather than your arteries, is it my does. understanding. Yeah. Um, and here's here's an interesting trivia. And knowing you, you you know a lot of trivia, so you'll probably know this. <laughs> but do you know um, do you know the source of of K two? How you can get K two in your diet? Meat. 
Yeah. And do you know, do you know what's specific about the meat? It's usually red meat. Do you know what's specific about it? Grass fed. Oh, grass fed. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's interesting to just, uh, you know, I don't know. I guess we probably shouldn't be surprised, but, uh, you know, that's where a good source of K2 is. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, grass fed is expensive. Not everybody can do that. We do um, grass fed for our burger because we don't, we eat burger with Havarti cheese. And then in the summer, we have heirloom tomatoes with it. So when you don't put all that stuff on your burger, you want it to taste good. You want it to be the best burger um, because you notice the taste. So for burger, we'll do grass-fed. Grass fed, and Sprouts has grass-fed burger for a reasonable price. It's not too much more than regular burger. Um, so we'll do that. But our regular steak and stuff, it's just regular. Oh, we We just can't afford the... The huge markup it, it, on grass-fed steak. Yeah, it is, and and I think in some ways it's kind of they've just found a market to be able to to um, price it at that. I'm going to guess it gets more popular. The price will probably come down. Um, Sean Baker on his, the Joe Rogan podcast made it pretty clear when they asked him about that because he eats grass-fed beef, right? Um, but a he also said, yeah, but he also said he said, you know, if you don't don't worry if you can't afford right. it, just just go with regular beef. And I will say what we do with our beef, we have it raised and we, cause grass fed beef is very, very lean too. And I like my, I like my, um, you know, carbs kind of fatness up. Right. Yeah. So I like my, I like my ribeye marbled for sure. Yeah. And if you have grass fed, it won't be marbled at pretty as much. So we always have them. I think they feed them grain for the last grain month. Finished. or so. Yeah. Yeah. Or something yeah. like that. So, um, and, and we, we love our freezer full of meat. So, yes. Yeah. So let's That's move good. on. You had, so speaking of diet and how it affects so many things, you had a cousin that had breast cancer. Can you quickly yes. elaborate on that? Um, well, she, she died when she was 35 years old, um, had, had four kids. She was breastfeeding the youngest when she found what she thought was a clogged milk duct, and it turned out to be breast cancer. It turns out that she has the BRCA gene from her dad's side of the family. He, her dad, I don't think died of cancer, but his, I think several of his brothers did. Um, and it was all, it was just so terribly tragic. Um, she was, but what made me think of it is um, there's a lot of information that uh, many common cancers are associated with uh, metabolic disease. Um, so you have your heart disease, your diabetes, obesity, they're all part of the same metabolic disease thing um, caused by high chronic levels of insulin. Um, and the common cancers like uh, breast cancer, prostate cancer are also associated with that. Um, some things I've read say 80% of it, I mean, a huge percentage. And there's a, um, a book out there called The Metabolic Metabolic basis of cancer is that what Thomas um, Seyfried? Uh, Thomas cancer, cancer as a metabolic disease. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's it's one of those really interesting things I came across and started reading about. Um, and there's more information on it now than there was um, a few years ago when I was reading that. Um, and um, another kind of side to that is vitamin D in cancer. Um, I know there's a chart floating around of your vitamin D levels and your uh, risk of cancer, a bunch of different cancers. 
um, in there. And um, that one's also very interesting. Um, your, the oh, higher your vitamin D levels, the lower your risk of cancer. Right. Um, and Dr. Jason Fung talked as a book too, yes. the can code. And Cancer I guess code, what yeah. you, you know, I, I guess kind of what you're getting to is, you know, can diet. Oh, I forgot affect to mention, she, she, she was, um, she was overweight and, oh, okay. yeah. um, and that's that, that, that connection. So my, my thought there, and there's no science proving this, I don't think, but um, my thought there, and I've thought about other things with this is, Maybe you have uh, a gene or, or a genetic, genetic propensity towards something like cancer or, um, or depression or something like that, but um, that doesn't get expressed unless, you're, uh, unless your environment or your diet causes it. So say you ate a normal ancestral diet from birth um, and as a kid and everything growing up, would those genes ever get activated? Um, because right. if you look at the studies with hunter-gatherers, even modern hunter-gatherers, they don't have heart disease. They don't have diabetes. I think their cancer incidence is low. So um, I, I don't know. I just, there seems to be something, something to that. I agree um, with you. And I wonder I, about it. I think sometimes um, in the medical system, we use genetics as a cop-out. Oh, well, yes. you know, you've got bad genes. Your mom and dad yep. died of a heart attack when they were young. So, and you've got that same gene. So, you know, yep. here you go. Here's a statin. You better take a statin, yep. and, you know, hope you don't die of a heart attack. Now, here's, here's genetic. I, no. I, 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 the list goes on, right? Yeah. But here's what I've got to say about that. We cannot change our genes or our genetics. No. We can't, but we can change the way our genes are expressed. In fact, it's happening all the time in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And I, the, the, the simplest analogy I like to go to is this is very, with a simple, you know, organism, a bacteria. Bacteria um, will not express certain genes, i.e. certain resistance to antibiotics, unless they're in, they're in, expose those antibiotics. Once they're exposed, those genes start being expressed. Why is our body any different? Right. You know, it's and, and it's not. So our body expresses different genes depending on what we are exposed to. So if we can take care of our bodies, if we can take care of our diet and um, our nutrition, exercise, and of course, we haven't talked about it today yet, is sleep. Rest is so <laughs> yeah. important. Um, is. In fact, I think it trumps all of those. We don't get stronger when we exercise. We don't get stronger when we eat. We get stronger when we sleep and recover. And we sleep more than we eat. We sleep more than we exercise. So if we're not recovering, we're not going to have a strong immune system. And right. we could um, break down and get things like cancer or get really sick from COVID. Um, so rest is very important. Yeah. And sleep, sleep since menopause, sleep has been an issue. Um, I, I did lots of research about how to get past that. One of the most important things is stop eating at least three hours before you go to bed. Um, more is better. Eat early. Don't eat some big party meal at 10 o'clock at night. Um, you need to eat. Well, we don't always get to do this, but I prefer to eat at like four or five o'clock. A nice long time for your digestion to do its thing so that you can right. go to sleep. And because you, your body has other things to do while you're sleeping besides digesting food and, <laughs> That's right. Right. and, and alcohol, of course, is a huge part of that. Um, I'm 
yeah, if you drink alcohol, you're not going to sleep well. And even, (laughs) even early I find, and I don't drink a lot. Um, We've talked about, we've talked about that on the podcast a lot. And there's many people that think, well, alcohol relaxes me and helps me sleep. You're right. It might. It's a, it's a CNS depressant. And at first it might, it might make you drowsy. And then you wake up. but later on, you wake up four hours later when that alcohol wears off and you can't sleep. Um, yep, you definitely um, And w- w- we had a podcast. Um, you can look it up on our YouTube um, listeners and viewers on just sleep. Um, Janet and I did a podcast just on sleep. We talked about some of those things. Of course, caffeine late at night. Don't, you know, stay away from caffeine or even in the afternoon. All those, you know, all those, all those tips. So, And, and caffeine is interesting. So I did my um, ancestry DNA for genealogy stuff. And found out I am a slow metabolizer of caffeine, which, um, so way back when, oh, I can say August 2001, because it was right before 9-11, I gave up coffee because I was drinking less and less, and it was making me more and more jittery. So I gave it up cold turkey. Worst six-week hangover of my life. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, I now drink, I can now drink a little bit. I can have one cup of coffee, and I'm not too bad. But... um, it's, uh, yeah, I have to stay away from it almost altogether, uh, let alone late. And I can't have, if it's a past noon, I can't have any, I can't even have tea. That's how bad it is. Wow. Um, wow. so there are some genetic things you can't avoid. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, caffeine. <laughs> so Lorraine, we're, we're getting ready to, uh, wind our podcast mm-hmm. up and you, you've already answered it, but I want to be uh, about your passion, but I want you to be more specific about it. So what, what do you have a passion for? Oh, birding. It's, um, I got into it because I inherited, uh, our dogs from my adult children. Thanks kids. Um, and I was walking them every day and this is, this is after keto. So I was already doing a lot of power walking and stuff, but the dogs, you know, they dawdle and do their thing. And I started noticing all these, these birds, great blue herons and snow, exotic to me birds. I'm like, really, we have those in Colorado? <laughs> really? So it just sort of drew me in. And that's about the same time um, Cornell, Cornell Labs of Ornithology came out with a website called eBird. And then a, a short time later, they developed an app. And eBird, you can track what you see. And then later on, you're able to add fo- upload photos and sound recordings. And it hits this, this human spot of um, observing nature, which I think is a very human thing, and collecting something. So you collect the birds you've seen. You have a life list. Um, and you can take that. You can have your county list, your state list, your country list, mm. um, all kinds of things. Um, but it's a, a, you know, you're always supposed to keep your mind active by learning new things as you get older. And uh, it's, it's definitely learning new things all, all over. Um, there are approximately 10,500 birds in the world. I've seen 368 of them. Um, wow. There are about <laughs> 500 that have been seen in Colorado. So I even have a ways to go in Colorado alone. Yeah, wow. Um, wow. But it's a hobby you can do anywhere at any time. Um, people do this when they're at the airport or in a city, um, your backyard, of course. Um, and eBird, you can see what other people have seen and where. So you learn other places to go, not just to bird, but to hike or walk. Um, uh, oh, landfills are popular because they attract gulls and raptors. Um, so you just, it's just a great all around hobby outside in the sunshine, fresh air, freezing cold sometimes. I just wanted to mention real quick on the sunshine aspect. Um, 
it's really, it's almost more important to drop seed oils rather than carbs, as I've learned from others, um, because they're high in uh, omega-6 and the ones that you use at home are already oxidized um, and then they oxidize further in your body. And that's what makes you burn in the sun. So I found out by accident, actually, and I thought it was keto in general that made me not burn. No, it's the seed oils. And um, so and dermatologists everywhere will cringe, but I have not used sunscreen in over three years and I do not burn. And I obviously am out in the sun for hours and hours every day. Right. Um, and the other part of why I'm able to do that is because I get as much sun as possible, even in the winter and spring, is I build up a tan. A tan is Mother Nature's sunscreen. Um, so if you start early when you yeah. should be outside all the time, then you have a tan by the time you get to the most intense part of summer in the day. Um, and I literally can be outside for eight hours and I won't burn. So Lorraine, um, how do you've got a quite a following on Twitter and that's how I found you. So how do, <laughs> how do people get a hold of you if they want to find out more? <laughs> how do people um, get a hold of you if they want to find out more about you? Um, Twitter's probably the best. And I don't even know what, what is my handle on Twitter. You can probably search my by name, Lorraine Lanning. I think it's Lorraine Lanning is what comes up. Yeah, something like that. Lorraine, thank you so much for sharing your story today. I, I really, really appreciate it. And you have been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Yes, I, I know Lorraine talked a little bit about erythritol as a, as a sweetener. We are going to be talking about artificial sweeteners, um, net carbs, and how to read labels Monday. So with, with um, my great brother, who's a research chemist, Shane Needham, and Tasha, who is a diet coach, uh, we're going to be talking about that Monday, 1 to 2 p.m. You want to tune in for that. 